0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Big things are happening at Collective this fall, and we'd love for you to be a part of them. Join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at 5103 Pegasus Court for church that doesn't feel like your typical church. We hope to see you there. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So CT knows the thing about me is that I hate matching people. Like I hate it so much. When I was in college, my roommates, uh, I had an early eight o'clock class and they would wake up at seven to see what I was wearing. And then they kept wearing the same clothes to our nine o'clock class together. So I burnt everything. So this is the last time I'll ever wear an endless second chance of t-shirts. Um, no, I don't, uh, we'll see. Um, all right. Do you ever find yourself going on Airbnb and keeping the settings on anywhere and any week and clicking search? Right? Any of you, have you done that before? If you don't know what I'm talking about, here is how you are going to waste hours of your life this week. Head to Airbnb.com, add a guest total. So like for me, I put in two, and then you just click search. And Airbnb will give you a bunch of homes all over the world that are available in the coming weeks. Last week, with all the cold and rain, I was like, I'm done with this place. Like, where can we go? So I clicked search. I found a place that cost $8,000 a night. Uh, It was in a country I had never heard of before. There was also an option that was $85 a night. It looked like someone put up a tent in their backyard, but it was on a beach, so it was still going to be better than what the weather was last week. But the house that piqued my interest the most when I've done this in the past was a house that's called Last House Standing because it looks so familiar. Check it out. It looks just like a normal beach house, but it's not. It's one of the most famous houses in the world. Last House Standing is located in Gilchrist, Texas. Gilchrist is a small beach town outside of Houston. It sits on this this small peninsula in the Gulf of Mexico. And I actually shared a picture of this house about four years ago, but it looked very different at the time. Do any of you remember this picture? Maybe not from Collective, but from news, yep. So this picture went viral in 2008 after Hurricane Ike hit Texas and destroyed everything, right? The storm knocked down over 200 homes, but the Yellow House was still standing. And if you remember at the time, this picture was so famous, it went so viral that people thought it was faked or Photoshopped or uh, something that somebody else put together. And so CNN actually went down there, brought an investigative journalist to check and see, like, was this real? and they met the photographer who took the picture while flying in a helicopter over Gilchrist. At the time, the house belonged to Warren and Pam Adams, and even though this huge storm beat down on their house, it only had superficial exterior damage and interior water damage, right? minor, compared to all the devastation around them. And the reason this house was still standing was because it had a strong foundation, In fact, their foundation was built 40 feet underground. Today, we're continuing in our series called Your Story Matters. And if you've missed any of the past few Sundays, uh, you definitely need to check them out on YouTube or podcasts because uh, this has been a really powerful series so far. And that's not just because of the videos we're sharing in this series, but because what many of you have written on the cards that you've put up on the Your Story Matters wall. And I've had some great questions over the past few weeks about sharing our stories that I just wanna answer really quickly. Um, someone asked me, what if you are in the middle of a mess, right, in the middle of a storm, and you don't know what God is going to do yet? Well, you share your story, right? You share how you're holding on to Jesus, even though you aren't sure how things will turn out, or even if you aren't sure if God's gonna answer the prayers that you are praying. Right? What if you don't have a story to tell? Share your story. Right? Even if you don't feel like you have something to share, you do. Think about what God has done and is doing in your life and share that. Think about the community that God has brought you or the purpose you feel while you follow Jesus. Right? It's not just about values. It's about peaks as well. Right? What if you aren't a follower of Jesus? Share your story. Share with others why you are seeking and what led you to this point. Share your doubts and share your hopes. In the first week of this series, we read the story from the book of Joshua where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, and when they get to the other side, they put down this stone to remember how far God had brought them and to encourage themselves and future generations to keep going. And that is why we share our stories, to do the same thing. And I just want to give a really big shout out right now to um, our middle schoolers and high schoolers who put cards up on the wall this week at Youth Collective. Um, Our students in this church are really setting the tone right now, and I'm just so proud of them. And I want them to know that you are setting an example that our adults need to follow. Right? And when you go out after service day and you read those cards, know they're coming from middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so if you're in Youth Collective and you're doing cards, uh, you guys are crushing it. And keep setting the tone so our adults can follow your lead. All right, so for today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And here's just a little bit of context for what we're about to read. Jesus is giving his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, he talks about a ton of things, right? He talks about anger, and he talks about forgiveness, divorce, giving to the needy, prayer, money, like all of these things. But then in Matthew 7, he gets to the very end of his sermon, and he sums it all up by saying this, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash." Now, let me explain some of the geology for a second. The Sermon on the Mount took place by the Sea of Galilee, which is in Northern Israel. This also happens to be in the Jordan Rift Valley, which is 600 feet below sea level. It's the second lowest place on earth. And that place is a desert, it is hot, it is dry, it's a very unforgiving land. And the crowd listening to Jesus would have known this. They also would have known that this area was prone to flooding. And so when building a house in that region, what they would have done is they would have dug down through the first few layers of earth to get to the bedrock underneath. Because if you built your house on the top few layers, it wouldn't stand a chance when storms came. And so here's the first thing to write down today based on what we just read, first application. Your life will be full of storms. Jesus makes it clear that storms are a part of life, whether you are wise or foolish. And this is important because it means that no one is exempt from going through trials. No one is exempt from pain. No one is exempt from bad things happening to them. People who follow Jesus experience storms. People who don't follow Jesus experience storms. But what matters when these storms hit is having the right foundation because the right foundation can get you through the storms you face. And that's what our story is all about this week. Check out Ashley's story.
1: So, born and raised in Maryland most of my life. Primarily lived in Montgomery County, like Northern DC area. Um, I was raised by a single mom up until I was seven, eight years old. My immediate family and my extended family all attended the same church in DC that my grandmother attended. So it's kind of like what you did on Sunday mornings. You went to boat, or Sunday school at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, you attended church. If there was a late service, you attended that service. You were there all day long sometimes. Yeah. I personally did not care for it. I liked my sleep. I didn't like waking up early. I didn't understand why we were doing it, especially since what we were learning at church and learning about God and Christ was not implemented at home, um, not the way that it was taught at least. There wasn't any deep connection to the Bible, the God, the building, or the people. So. Yeah.
0: When you moved up to Frederick, did you continue to go to church in DC or did things change?
1: We would go like to DC, like on major occasions, like if someone was getting baptized or something like that, family events or something, but we did find a church here in Frederick that we attended.
0: Cause at that point you're probably old enough to tell your parents, specifically your mom like no you can't you can't you don't don't say you're not going (laughs) to church here you go when did it all start to click for you like when did what went from cultural church family stuff to oh wait like i really do want to to believe in this and have this in my life
1: i had a lot of fear from acknowledging that i had just finished community college and was going to towson and i don't know how to navigate this i was a broke (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a student um, so I think a lot of that I cried when I had to take out a student loan like oh, yeah. I didn't want a student loan but I think a lot of that just wrestling inside of me was the first moment that I was like hey you're here why not like start truly pouring in holy to God and I want to say stepping on faith like back then when I was going to Towson was the first experience strongly just said Lord as I, I Died myself and sacrifice wholly to you, yeah. because I can't do it. I met my ex-husband right as I was transferring to Towson on um, the summer before I started my first semester at Towson. The same year I was gonna graduate was the same year that he proposed, and six months after graduation, we married.
0: How old were you guys at the time? Were you...
1: 21, 22. Yeah, so young. Yeah, young. Foolish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. First year of marriage, we experienced a lot of heavy, heavy items from um, assumed, I guess you can say presumed infidelity, the death of his grandmother, the death of my great grandmother, I miscarried. We continued to try to work things out. Eventually we had our daughter in the spring of 2013. So in the beginning of all of it, there was no faith, like we weren't going to church or anything. And I just kind of woke up one day when I was pregnant and I said, you know, if we wanna continue working through this, um, we have to incorporate church. Yeah, And so she was born, and I would say six months after that, we started church hunting in Anaroma County. My faith was like improving, and I feel like I felt growth and I was involved. I uh, served in, at the time it was called Remix, so the middle and High School um, Ministry, but he wasn't very connected with the church. He would attend, Um, But I just think it wasn't for him. I started saying a prayer over myself because I knew (laughs) I couldn't do it. So uh, my prayer was basically apologizing to God for living out how I chose to live and not his will for my life. And then just kind of just begging him to remove any people habits like things that were not of his will because that's what I wanted to follow from that point. I wanted to be at church opposed to like growing up, like not really understanding that uh, why I was there. I wanted to be there. I loved my middle school girls, middle and high school girls. By 2015, he decided that he no longer wanted to be married and kind of just walked out. But it wasn't until when he left that I realized, left the second time actually, that I realized That was my prayer being answered. Wow.
0: Okay, so now you're a single mom in a new place, finding a new job, new church. Um, What was that like?
1: Society teaches women, like, marriage is the goal. And when marriage didn't work out for me, it was like, okay, well, what now? Um, I also, too, struggled because I didn't want to be a single mom, I was raised by one. And while she did the best she could, it wasn't a dynamic that I wanted for myself and my children. So I beat myself up a lot. Um, There was no grace. You be, you told me a lot that I need to show myself yeah. grace. Um, but there was no grace. I didn't feel like I deserved grace. I also feel like God just wasn't there. Like the promise of him being present, he wasn't there. And it was just yet another thing I had to deal with. So while I was present and I was showing up, that mustard seed of faith. I had a half of a mustard seed yeah. of faith. But I knew it would change. I've seen it change. So I just pressed in.
0: Even while you were struggling with your own faith. Even while you're struggling with what is God doing in my life, even while you're struggling with an ex who was choosing to make things harder and you you just kept showing up, why?
1: Um Well, for starters, I was drowning. I was drowning mentally, spiritually, emotionally, um, to the point where it felt like I couldn't breathe. So I had to literally tell myself, listen, if you don't let some of this go, or if you don't change, you're gonna kill yourself from the stress. Leading up to this point in my life, no one's ever really taken the charge to say, I'm gonna let God rule over every aspect of my life. Or their life just wanting to be a better healthier me for myself for the little girl that I needed in myself but then also for my daughter and the children that you know not that I just serve here but any child that I come across in my life I think just the way that I think now is differently it's not perfect like I still struggle with anxiety and depression Um, I just think acknowledging that I have those things and they're not me Um, And I have them because of very valid reasons. Like I've experienced a lot of things, but that doesn't mean I have to stay there. Um, I don't get as upset when someone tries to use those items against me because it just shows the lack of empathy and sympathy in them, lack of grace and love in them. So I don't take that personal anymore. But in turn, I also kind of just pray for certain people people that I truly don't care for um, including my ex-husband like he's just one person that I'm not angry anymore with him because I know he has his own journey he has to take and he has to work through things and until he does this is just the dynamic it's going to be the only thing I can do is just pray for a better relationship better communication there doesn't even necessarily have to be a relationship but better communication um, for the sake of our child so that she can grow up even with her parents' divorce, have both happy parents and can have moments that she can look back on and say, yeah, they're divorced, but I was able to do this with them. Like, that's my end goal for her. I think believing that I wasn't a failure because of my divorce and believing that God loves me no matter what, which is, I've seen it. I've, as a single mom, like, I remember when Aria was born, so nine years ago. I looked on the calendar, and I was like, oh, her fifth birthday falls on a Saturday. I'm gonna take her to Disney. I said that in the hospital. Wow. And on her fifth birthday, I still took her to Disney, even as a single mom. Yeah. Like, I purchased my first home as a single mom. It's just, it's worked out. And I've, all I've done is followed the steps that he's written in his word.
0: Yeah. Marriage struggles, divorce struggles, single moms, um, single dads, you know, who are in the thick of it, what advice would you give them? What encouragement would you give them? Um, What like faith, wisdom would you give them?
1: So I think the first thing I would say is be nice. Um, It's underrated. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if their parties are needed, utilize them. Um, Pray, go to church, believe even when you don't believe truly prioritize your family. Um if it doesn't work out, still prioritize them cuz they're still your family. Yep. Um just looks differently. Also never give up on yourself. Like you're not a failure. Keep pushing. Show up.
0: Thank you for doing this and sharing your story. Um because it matters so much. Thanks. You're cool. now, and um, one of the things that's so amazing about her life and her story and her journey uh, is her faith. Before the storm, during the storm, after the storm, there's always some. And she said it's a half of a mustard seed, but there's faith. And the reality is, for her, a lot of her storm hasn't gone away or may never go away. But in those seasons and in, in those times, what she does is she holds on to Jesus, right? A storm hit and it hurts, but she continues to stand strong because of her foundation. So in light of the truth that storms will come and storms are here, let me ask you, what is your foundation, right? What is your foundation? When things get hard, what is your house built on? What holds your faith steady when the storm hits? What holds your life steady? What holds your marriage steady? What holds your relationship steady? What holds your value and the way you see yourself steady? Because whether we know it or not, we all have a foundation that our life is built on. What is yours? George Barna and the Barna Group do research specializing in studying uh, religious beliefs and behaviors of Americans and the intersection of faith and culture. And they recently put out a study that in my opinion uh, is is a bit terrifying. And it's on our worldview, and, and here's what they wrote. They said, your worldview is the filter you use to see, understand, experience, and respond to the world around you. Another way to describe your worldview is your foundation. And your worldview enables you to make sense of this world. You need a worldview just to get through everyday life. In fact, every single decision you make, which we make up to 35,000 decisions a day, flows out of your worldview. Your worldview is crucial to defining who you are and how you live because a person will always do what they believe. And through research, they have found that people now have a syncretic worldview, meaning people listen to all types of worldviews, and what they do is they take bits and pieces from each one, and they blend them together into this customized, made-just-for-you worldview that describes what they feel, what they think, what they want, where they want to go, and how they want to live. And the thing is, we pick these pieces of our worldview that best fits our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors. Right, and So instead of allowing our worldview to dictate those things, what we do is we do these actions and then pick the pieces that justify the way that we're living. But here's the scary part. Barner reported that only 6% of Americans currently possess a biblical worldview, meaning that 6% of people think and behave in a way that closely aligns to what Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches. And that number is rapidly declining. Barna concludes by saying it's interesting that we have a nation where almost seven out of 10 adults call themselves Christian, but only six out of every 100 try to think like Jesus so they can live like Jesus. Ouch, right? Now I'm not as smart as George Barna, but let me try to sum this up. This is like going to Golden Corral because you love food and chaos. And while you are there, what you do is you take a plate and you fill it up with a little bit of Tex-Mex, a little bit of seafood, no vegetables because they suck, mac and cheese, right? You get a bowl of soup, and then you top it all off with some dessert. And then what you do is you mix it all up and eat it and wonder why your stomach hurts, right? When your worldview or foundation is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, when you get your foundation for marriage from your parents, your foundation uh, for self-worth from social media, your foundation for recovery from yourself and your foundation of forgiveness and grace from God, and then mix it all up, what do you think happens when a storm hits your marriage? What do you think happens when a storm hits your recovery? What do you think will happen when a storm hits your mental health? because this buffet style of life and truth and foundation is destroying us because the storms keep coming. Think about it like this. Life is hard, right? We acknowledge that all the time at Collective. Life is hard, but are things harder now than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago? I was listening to a podcast the other day and someone said, everything is amazing right now and no one is happy. We live in this amazing, amazing world and we act like things are worse now than they've ever been, right? We do that, but we are more connected than ever. We have more resources than ever. We have more opportunities than ever, but this is the unhappiest people have ever been. Now, what if this is because less and less people are following Jesus, right? Think about it. And I'm not saying that it's non-Christians causing these problems. What I'm saying is that these problems have always existed, but the reason they feel so heavy right now is because our foundation is not on Christ, Life is not harder now than what it used to be. Medicine is amazing. The average life expectancy right now, 79 years old. 50 years ago, it was 71. 100 years ago, 58, 58. Cancer isn't the immediate death sentence that it used to be. I don't know if you guys read it this week. They just developed a drug that helps fight ALS because a bunch of people dumped buckets of ice water on their heads on social media. It actually turned into something. Scientists have figured out how to regenerate ear cells, and they're starting to reverse hearing loss. We just shot a rocket into space to take out an asteroid ensuring we never have to send Bruce Willis, okay? That's a good (laughs) thing. Over 50% of the workforce now has an option to work from home, which is saving people hours of driving in traffic a day. In the DC area alone, you are saving eight days a year of sitting in traffic. The whole world is literally connected to a device that fits in your hands. The Orioles finished above 500. The Rays and the Blue Jays got knocked out. Good things are happening, right? So maybe, Maybe the reason why life feels harder right now is because when there are storms, our foundation is built on the wrong things, right? So hear me, there will be storms. There will be things that happen in our lives that we cause because of our sin and our bad decisions. There'll be storms that are caused, that are out of our control that other people cause. What do you want your foundation to be? Social media, culture, the way you were raised, your feelings, that book you read that one time. On the right foundation, we can withstand the storm. On the wrong foundation, everything gets destroyed like building a house on sand. So what do we do? How do we go from that golden corral life to a life with a strong foundation? There's two things that Jesus mentioned at the end of this sermon. Let's go back to what he said, Matthew 7, verse 24. He says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So here's the first way you build the right foundation. Really simple. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. When you listen and follow Jesus's teaching, you build your house on solid rock. Right? It's God's word that gets us through the storms. And here's what I mean by this, just in case you need clarification. You should read your Bible. Bible. I should not be your primary source for scripture. This can't be it, right? This is a piece of it. I try to make it easy to understand, try to take some of those barriers down so you feel more confident reading on your own, but you should not get your Bible from me. You should not get your Bible from that influencer. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, turn that stuff off. You should not get your Bible from your grandparents. Love them. Not it, right? You should read your Bible, because when you do, you will have a stronger foundation, and you will be able to stand tall in the storms you face, right? Check this out. I share this probably once or twice a year, because I think it is so powerful. Reading the Bible four or more times per week decreases your odds of drinking in excess by 62%, viewing pornography by 59%, having sex outside of marriage by 59%, lashing out in anger by 31%, gossiping by 21%, neglecting family by 26%, overeating by 20%, and mishandling money by 20%. Four times a week, that's it, right? Some of you want to be a better parent. You stay up at night wondering how you can do that. Some of you want to break that addiction that you have to pornography. Some of you want to be a person that's known for your patience. Read your Bible, read your Bible. This is true for people who follow Jesus and people who don't. Let's keep going. Reading the Bible four more times per week decreases your odds of feeling bitter by 40%. Self-destructive thinking by 32%. Feeling the need to hide what you do or how you feel by 32%. Having difficulty forgiving others by 31%. Feeling discouraged by 31%. Experiencing loneliness by 30%. Experiencing fear or anxiety by 14%. If you feel lonely, you feel discouraged, or you just don't like yourself right now, Read your Bible. Reading the Bible four more times per week gives you significantly higher odds of being generous, giving financially to a church. That goes up by 416%. People don't read their Bibles. (laughs) Discipling others by 231% and sharing your faith with others by 228%. Reading the Bible four more times per week gives you significantly lower odds of feeling spiritually stagnant by 60% and feeling like you can't please God by 44%. Some of you have issues with your faith because you're not reading your Bible. Some of you have a, a bad view of God that you've inherited from other people, and it's because you're not actually reading how he sees you and loves you and cares about you, right? Spend time every single day reflecting on Scripture. That's it. If we want to have the right foundation, it starts with listening and following to Jesus' teaching. And the number one source of that is scripture. So we read our Bible. Right? And what they're saying is just four times a week literally changes your life. So wake up a little early. Don't watch that second episode on Netflix. Read while you're eating lunch. Read with your kids before they go to bed. One thing that I've been struggling with lately uh, when it comes to reading my Bible is I tend to do it on my phone through the YouVersion app. And my phone inundates me, just like you, with millions of things every single day. And so it takes me completely out of reading my Bible. It takes my attention away. And so this summer, I was actually talking to a guy about going old school, like reading a physical paper Bible. And he told me that he had just bought a Bible called a filament Bible. And it's really cool because on the top of every single page, there's this little icon, there's an app you download with it, and you scan this little icon, and a page comes up with maps, historic details, context, other verses that connect to what you're reading. And so I bought one, and it's amazing. It's completely changed my life because I'll be reading something in my paper Bible, and when I get stuck, I scan this little icon, and it shares the things that I'm wondering and wrestling with and have questions about. And so if that is you and you want to read your Bible more, you can go on Amazon today. It'll show up at your house tomorrow. Look for the NLT filament Bible. If you get the green one, we'll match. I'm not proud of it. (laughs) But if you're gonna read your Bible, I'm okay with that. Right? To build a better foundation, we need to read the Bible. Okay, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Let's go back to that same verse. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, this is a bit more nuanced. And the people listening to Jesus at this time wouldn't have actually picked up on what he was trying to say. When Jesus uses the word rock, it's the Greek word petra. Right? And he's using it to describe this bedrock, this like big rock, um, you know, kind of like the largest sense of that word. But he later uses this same word in reference to himself. And we get that view, we get that thirty thousand foot view. So it has a double meaning. Check this out. In Matthew sixteen, Jesus is with his twelve closest followers, and and he asks them, "Who do you say I am?" Right. And if you've been at Collective last few weeks, you've heard this story. We share it anytime someone gets baptized. But Peter replies, "You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God." Right. Peter says, "You are the one that God sent to rescue us from our sin. You are God in the flesh." And Jesus responds. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Right? And if you grew up in the Catholic church, you've actually probably been told that Peter is the rock that the church is built on, but that's a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of the Greek. In this instance, Jesus uses the word Petros for Peter and Petra for rock, and this matters a lot. Petros means a small piece. Right, Peter is a small piece of the foundation of this church. And we know, we read forward and we see what he does. But Petra, the rock, the rock that Jesus uses to build this church is the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of the Living God. That he came to live a perfect life, die on a cross for our sin, be buried in a tomb, and resurrect from the dead, proving that his promises of grace and hope and new life were to be trusted. Right? This is the foundation. All of Christianity hinges on this, on the fact that he is the Messiah. That is the rock that our foundation needs to be built on. So the second thing we do to build a strong foundation is we hold on to Jesus, right? Jesus is the bedrock. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against you, hold on to him right? Jesus who gives us grace that we don't deserve. Jesus who loves us when we're unlovable. Jesus who values us to the point of giving up his own life. Jesus who gives us wisdom and guidance, right? We hold on to him. And so the right foundation starts with Jesus and his words, not Jesus and culture, not Jesus and social media, not Jesus and your feelings, not Jesus and your friends, Jesus and his words. If you want to stand strong in the storms of life, that is where you build your foundation. Now, let me go back to the story I told at the beginning. One of the remarkable things about the last house standing is that it was a rebuild. Just five years before that picture was taken in 2003, Hurricane Hurricane Ike came through and actually destroyed their first house and the owners lost everything. And when they got their insurance money, they told the contractors to build a new home in a way that could withstand the biggest hurricane. And that's what they did. They chose a new way of building. They chose a new foundation after the devastation. Some of you have gone through some stuff. You've experienced heartache and abuse and pain. And your foundation was other people. It was your feelings. It was society, and what they say is good and right. And then a storm came through, and it was devastating. But the good news is after the storm, you can always rebuild. You can choose the right foundation. You can stop building your life on the wrong things and start building it on the bedrock. Right? You can put your faith in Jesus. You can get baptized. You can be made new. And we say this all the time at Collective, but what's the worst thing that could happen if you trusted Jesus? Right? What's the worst thing that could happen if you put him first? What's the worst thing that could happen if you allowed Christ and scripture to dictate how you view things? What is the worst thing that could happen? I can promise you that's not gonna be worse than what you've already been through. I can promise you that when the storm hits again, which it will, and Jesus is your foundation, it's not total devastation. right? Now, some of you can do that before the storm ever hits. Some of you can put your faith in him right now, you can start building that foundation up right now, right? and you should do that. But some of you have already been through the storm and you're rebuilding, and that's even more of a reason to choose the right foundation this time. It is not too late, you are not too far gone, you've not screwed things up so badly that you're out of chances. It's time to build your foundation on the right things. Jesus promises that there will be storms. The rain will come in torrents. The floodwaters will rise. The wind will beat against the house. And your foundation will determine whether you stay standing or collapse with a mighty crash. You can stay strong. You can take the hits and not get completely destroyed, but it all depends on what you build your life on. Let's pray. God, we've been through a lot. Um, God, it's honestly hard to sum up our life and our stories and our highs and our lows in a few minutes. Um, But God, we've been through some stuff. And God, I know that as we we feel this pain and we feel this brokenness, we feel this destruction. God, as we experience devastation, honestly, um, the only thing that keeps us standing is you. In your words. And so, God, I just pray, in light of the stats, in light of the reality um, that six people in this room have a biblical worldview, have a biblical foundation. God, I pray that that number changes. Because the reality is, God, we're going to keep going through storms, but the only thing that's going to keep us standing is you. In your words, in your promises, in your hope, in your grace. And so God, I, I just pray for the people who are rebuilding right now, who are here because they're rebuilding right now. God, I pray that they start to build their foundation on you. God, that they understand that uh, it's not too late. They're not too far gone. They're not too broken. Uh, the devastation that they cause isn't too devastating for them to have you in the center of their life. And God, I pray uh, for those that are in here that um, haven't been through the storm yet, God, but know it's coming. God, I pray that they make the decisions right now to build that foundation, that they, they put their faith in you and the things that stand forever and not the things that are fleeting. God, thank you um, that you give us the opportunity to have a strong foundation. God, thank you um, that we can build our life on you and withstand the things of this world. Um, God, we don't deserve that, but we're so thankful for that. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.